0: Morning everyone. So Steve only stole five of my minutes now, so that's, that's pretty good. It was ten minutes earlier, so the good news is we won't be going on in, until two, maybe a little bit less than that. It'll we'll be fine. Just sit back, enjoy. It'll be fun. Uh, so um, if you haven't been with us uh, in, in the previous weeks, then you, you, you know that we're, we're joining us in a series called The Story of God. And And this series, which is part of our year of biblical literacy, where we're trying to become a little bit more literate about the the Bible and reading it a little bit, Um, this series that we've been calling The the Story of God is where we look at this overall meta-narrative of the Bible. In other words, when you look at the Bible as a whole, not just at the individual books, then it all comes together in this one sweeping, epic amazing story or narrative and that and that narrative we call the story of god so if you have missed any of the series so far then please do go online listen to the podcast as it will help you to understand this overall narrative that we've been talking about so this narrative is made up of four chapters creation fall redemption and restoration, and and we also refer to that last chapter as the renewal of all things. And for a long time, followers of Jesus, especially us evangelicals, have focused on two of those chapters. We focus almost exclusively on fall and redemption, which tells the story how humans have sinned and are in need of redemption or a redeemer. Now, as true as those chapters are, by missing out on creation and restoration the story just becomes the story of god just becomes about our own personal salvation we're only seeing half the story not the full story of god we're not seeing that full narrative that the bible is presenting to us that's a narrative where we see that actually the story of god isn't just about fall and redemption but also about creation and how we join God in the restoration of that creation or the renewal of all things. So today we're going to be looking at the story and the church and the part that the church plays in that restoration or the renewal of all things. But first, let's turn to the Bible, and and hopefully you've brought your Bible with you today. It's a good thing to bring your Bible to church, whether that's in an electronic or paper form. It's good because that means that you can follow along with us. We will have the words up on the screen, but also you can check that I'm just not making it up as I go along. So we're going to be looking into Acts chapter 2, but before we do that, I'm just going to summarize Acts so far. So... The book of Acts was written by a chap called Luke, and he also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Surprise, surprise. And this, almost, this, chap, this book, Acts, follows on almost immediately after that particular book. So if you could almost see both Luke and, and Acts as being one continual story in two books. And so far, what we've looked at in, towards the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts is that Jesus has resurrected. He spent some time over a period of 40 days hanging out with the disciples, eating with them, and teaching them about this thing called the kingdom of God. And then just before he ascends into heaven, he tells them not to leave Jerusalem, but to stick around and wait, because they're going to receive this promised gift of the Father, a gift from God the Father, and that gift is the Holy Spirit. So, being good disciples, they do exactly what Jesus said. They wait around in Jerusalem, they choose a new disciple to replace Judas, a guy called Matthias, and then they all stay together, constantly praying and worshipping God. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? It then goes on to list all the various different places that the people were from, all the nations that they came from, and that the fact that all of them could hear the disciples declaring the wonders of God in their own town, in their own language. And then we pick up again in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I just, that always makes me chuckle, that, that, that verse. It's come, come on, guys. It's only nine in the morning. Can't expect us to be drunk at this time. Later on, maybe, but not at nine in the morning. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter then goes on to give this amazing sermon. And during this sermon, 3,000 people come to the Lord right there and then. That's pretty amazing, huh? And then we pick it up again in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That was the birth or the beginning of the church. As I mentioned earlier, today I'm going to be talking about how the church and how the church fits, what the church is and how that church fits into the story of God. And to do that, I'm going to be asking and hopefully answering three questions. First What is the church? Why does the church exist? And thirdly, how does the church fulfill its purposes? So first of all, what is the church? Well, maybe a way of answering that is to ask another question. That is, what first comes to mind when you think of church? If someone said to you, tell me about your church, what would you say? Would you talk about this building? Would you explain how we have a really cool pallet wall and, and funky blue lights? Or would you talk about the awesome worship, which was kind of Bethel meets Hillsong meets, well, vineyard? What about the coffee and donuts? Surely you would mention that. Surely you would highlight that we don't use instant coffee, only the very best coffee. And of course, our donuts are the very best donuts you can get. Or would you say how amazing the sermons are? Would you ex- tell people that the sermons were like an, an awe-inspiring spiritual TED Talk with the Bible? Hmm, maybe not, not today anyway. But I would hazard to guess that nine times out of ten, you would talk about the one-and-a-half-hour event that happens here on a Sunday morning. Which, when you think about it, is weird. If someone said to me, Paul, tell me about your family. And then I told them, well, on a Monday evening, at around 6.30pm, we all get together, we sit down around this IKEA table, it's kind of mahogany in colour, And usually my wife cooks an amazing meal. Sort of Gordon Ramsay meets Jamie Oliver meets, well, Nigella. Unless, of course, it's my time to cook. In which case, it's Domino's pizza. Other pizza chains are available. If I said that, you'd go, whoa, 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 great. You eat together, but tell me about your family. You're married, I got from what you just said, but do you have kids? What do they like? What are you all passionate about? Tell me about your family. The point that I've maybe laboured a little bit is that it's important to understand what the church is not. It's not a building. It's not an event here on a Sunday or even during the week for those who are holy enough to go to group. It also isn't a social club, although... Church is very social. So what is the church? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary, as we know, is never wrong and has the following definition for the word church. A building used for public Christian worship. But as we've just talked about, the church is not a building. In Romans 16.5 it says... Greet also the church that meets at their house. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, refers to the church in their house, clearly not referring to a building, unless we're supposed to go around saying hi to buildings. So the Oxford Dictionary, in this case, I'm afraid, is wrong. But to be fair, it does, in today's modern English, refer to a building. But the word that is translated church In the New Testament is a word, ekklesia. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so ekklesia is the Greek word that we get church from, and it is defined as a called-out assembly or congregation. In fact, ekklesia was this word in Greek culture that was used to describe when all the elders of the town would come together, would assemble in a public place, and deliberate and discuss on the political and social issues that were important to that particular community. When Paul refers to the church in his letters in the New Testament, he's referring to a community of people who are called out or identified as followers of Jesus. The language used for this community of people, though, is far closer to the definition of a family rather than merely an organization or a collection of people. So the church is a family. But Paul also refers to the church, or ecclesia, as the body of Christ. And Jesus Christ as its head. It says in Ephesians one22 22-23, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head, him referring to Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That means the church is not just a family who are followers of Jesus, but that it has a purpose. It's a body, and bodies do things. If my head decides to walk to that part of the stage then my body has to do it. My body has to move. It can't do it on its own. It has, it, my body is intended to do something. A body is intended to do something. Which leads me to the second question. Why does the church exist? Let's go back to thinking about this story of God, this, this narrative that we've been talking about in this series this full story that has got four main plot movements of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We're not supposed to be merely observers of that story. We are called to be participants in the story. You see, there's a huge difference between being an observer and being a participant. When I watch a movie or a Netflix box set, other streaming services are available, then I'm observing. I'm sitting there, maybe eating some popcorn, watching from a distance. I'm somewhat disconnected. I might have an opinion. It might be good. I might be thinking, wow, this is an amazing story. This is great. I really appreciate this story. Or I might say, this is rubbish. I don't like this story. The plot's terrible. I might criticise the story, but that's easy to do because I'm just observing I'm just watching. I have no input into that particular story. And it doesn't matter how I feel about it, because I'm not participating. The story's not going to change because I don't like the ending. It is what it is, and I'm just watching. I'm an observer. I'm a consumer. It's possible some of us are living life and doing church like we're observers, We're just watching. We're just consumers. We turn up to church, open our Bibles, read about the story of God. We examine it. We study it. And those are great things to do. But then we close our Bible. We put it away. And maybe we think, that was good. I formed some opinions about that. But then we go away and we do nothing about it. Then we are simply watching the church. We're just observing what God is doing in his story, but we're not actively participating in it. You see, the role of a participant is much more like an actor in the theatre, in a play. There's a story playing out, and you know that you have a scene, you have a part to play, you're involved, and if you don't come on when you're supposed to come on, if you don't come and play your part, it's like, what's going on? Someone's missing, it's it's noticeable. We have a significant role to play. And it matters. Our involvement matters. We're supposed to be involved. You say, this is from the very beginning what God has always been about. God is saying, I want to participate with you. I want to partner with you. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, we are co-workers with God. And that is why the church exists. To partner with God in his story, in the renewal of all things, to be the body of Christ. To partner with God in his mission. Church planter Neil Cole, an author of a book called Organic Church, said this, The church is not sent on a mission by God. Rather, God is on a mission, and the church is called to join him. What is that mission? It's for his kingdom to come. It's for his kingdom to be extended. It's for all things to be renewed. Alan Hirsch, she's an author and leader of the missional church movement, and he puts it this way. This is the church as God intended it to be. A gospel-empowered, unfettered people movement perfectly designed for nothing less than the transformation of the world and the destruction of the forces of evil. So what does that look like for us? What does this transformation or the renewal of all things look like for the local church here in Northampton and Northamptonshire. We want to see lives transformed in our homes, our workplaces, and our communities. We want to seek justice and address issues of poverty in our communities. We want to serve the poor, the broken, the disadvantaged. We want to show and demonstrate the love of God. And we want to see people transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. Easy, huh? Some of you may be saying, whoa, 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 that's too much. How, how can we be doing that? We're just broken humans ourselves. How can, we, how can the church do all of that? And this is what leads me onto our final question. How does the church fulfill its purpose? That was the moment that the church was born. Not before. Why not? They would all gather together before the day of Pentecost. Why did the church not begin as soon as Jesus ascended into heaven? Because until the promised gift of the Holy Spirit came, there was no church. The church cannot fulfill its purpose without the power of the Holy Spirit. It was only after the Holy Spirit came that the apostles were able to perform the signs and wonders as Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this, by the way, was always the plan. Jesus knew that we would need the Holy Spirit to be his body on earth. Luke 24, 49 says this. Jesus says this. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to the church. He wanted us to have the power of the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God. Now, when we talk about power, I know some of us might start feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's totally understandable in the world today. Um, As a church, we're not called to go on a mission For God, with violence, with force, bullying, manipulation, or coercion, that is not the kingdom of God. When we think about how God is moving his story along and how we participate with that, we need to remember who's leading us, the servant king who laid down his life. You see, we belong to a kingdom that says, lay down your life and you'll get it where the first will be last and the last will be first, where we move in forgiveness and selflessness and sacrifice. It's a kingdom that says, I will lay down my life, I will sacrifice, I will give up because of what Jesus has done for me and because I want you to have that too. We are accessing a divine power. This is not a human power. This is not a power that forces and manipulates. And if you've been in church, and if you've been in a community where that's been the norm, where it forces, where it manipulates, where that's been the culture, and let me tell you, that's not the kingdom of God. This kingdom of God has a servant king. The Holy Spirit is powerful, but he is also gentle. I just felt as I was preparing the talk that It was really important that I said that this morning, and that that will be a real word for some people here this morning. So not only does the Holy Spirit give us power to join God in his mission, but it is the Holy Spirit that connects us all as one body, the body of Christ. We are parts of the body, and we all have something to contribute. We can all be participants a talk from me would not be complete without a quote from the theologian N.T. Wright. So here we go. N.T. Wright says in his book, Simply Christian, why Christianity makes sense. The church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. It was energized by God's spirit And it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. That is the purpose of the church. That is its mission. And every single person in this room is needed for that mission. To be part of the story of God. We're not observers. We're participants. An analogy that I've used before is that we've not just been given a bus ticket to heaven where we're sitting at the bus stop watching from the sidelines, observing the story as it unfolds. We are part of that story. We are part of God's story. We are joining him on his mission for the world and for the renewal of all things.